need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where myself and Eric. Hey, 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 hey. We watch all of Steven Spielberg's movies and we do it in somewhat of a chronological fashion. We try. There are problems sometimes. What had happened is, as I explained last week, but if you didn't listen, um, Last Crusade and Always came out in the same year. Always uh, actually came out after Last Crusade. But I'm too lazy to fix it. I'm too lazy to edit in any sort of headers or anything else. So what you get is an accident, and, and we just leave the blemishes out there for you to see. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we're human. What, they're we're human. They're the same year. Yeah, I think I think we're okay. I think we're no, okay. No one's off. keeping score. You know, I think it's all right. That's true. Yeah. That being said, we watched. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989. I think this is our last movie of the 80s. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that. But yeah, um, I guess. Uh, I'll double check. So but I'm, what's next? Hook? So that was in the 90s, right? I believe so. I'm checking. So our next thing would be Hook 91. Interesting. Right. So, 80s era uh, Spielberg comes to a close with this one. Yeah, how do you feel about this decade of uh, of Spiely? Oh, you know, like ridiculously good. You know, like sure there were some clunkers in there, but I feel like the highs drag the lows. Like the highs are so stratospheric that they yeah. drag the lows. Uh, you know, way way up, and and so like I can't, I can't imagine another filmmaker like if if your entire body of work from your career was spielberg's 80s output yeah pretty damn good career you know yeah you're like, st- pretty satisfying you're still a legend so let we'll run it down we got raiders of the lost ark in 81 et 82 twilight zone the movie not you know that's not even really a movie uh, well, at least this segment isn't. Then you got Temple of Doom, 84. Color Purple, 85. Sun, 87. Last Crusade, 89. Always 89. So that that's pretty crazy. It is pretty crazy. You got the whole you got the whole Indiana Jones trilogy in there. You got E.T., uh, Color Purple. I mean, there, there are some bangers, you know. Yeah. Some- uh, and yeah, some of which are absolute legendary films. And um, so, history of Last Crusade for you? How's how's that been? Yeah, okay, so this one came out my senior year in high school, and it's funny because uh, I was saying a couple weeks ago while we were talking about Back to the Future 2 about how I didn't make time to go see it at the theater because it was my senior year in high school and I was too busy doing other things. Uh, that's a lie. I looked at some of the other movies that came out like during this year, uh, 1989, my senior year in high school. Batman saw that at the theater. Star Trek oh, 5 yeah. saw that's that a at great... the theater. You know? well, what's the second one? I was too busy gushing over Batman 89. Uh, what was the second Star thing? Trek 5, the one with Cybok. Um, 
I'm a, I'm a big Star Trek guy, so of course I made it to the theater to see that, and I absolutely went to the theater to see uh, Last Crusade. I think with as with a lot of sequels, upon like first viewing it, I was a little like okay about it. Um, yeah. But then uh, the video came out during the era of cheap videotapes, and I think I came across it at Kroger for like thirteen bucks, and I bought it. And at, yeah, because this is '89, so DVDs are right around '98. Uh, uh, really, when DVDs hit their stride. So yeah, it's cheap videotapes. I guess though. it's just like we got yeah. past the era where videotapes were like 80 bucks. You know, like okay, yeah. we're to the point where they're kind of mass market. And and so I did buy Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and watched the shit out of it. Um, and then okay, so this is a sidebar, but interesting story. So. Uh, I was an exchange student to Russia twice, and the first time I went, it was still the Soviet Union. The second time, the Soviet Union had dissolved. Ooh. But I saw the 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 same family both times. And uh, as part of the exchange, the Russian kids came to the United States. And while they were at the United States, I bought my buddy a copy of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? So when I uh-huh. go back three years later in 93, uh, his father had purchased a VHS player and a, like, pale adapter so that they could watch it on a European TV, and they had one tape, and it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade that, that uh, my you know, I had picked up for my buddy while he was here and watched it endlessly on a loop, man. Like, just uh, the entire time I was there visiting Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was playing in the background. Uh so yeah, I've I've seen this movie a lot under a lot of different circumstances. <clears throat> this time watching it uh, last night though was the first time I've seen it in probably twenty years. Um, Ooh, yeah, you know, it, like it just it's it's not... probably about the same for me where I've actually sat down and watched it. Yeah, like I've seen bits and pieces and stuff, but I haven't like sat down and watched it. Watched it for a long time. So uh, so yeah, it was it was fun to revisit it. Um, my opinion of it has gone up considerably over the years since my first viewing. How about you? What's your uh, what's your history with it? To me, this was Indiana Jones. I've talked about it before. Like every other Indiana Jones movie was a shitty version of this to me. Um, like I was like, yeah, but you know, I watched Last Crusade and loved it, and then I was like, oh, I'll watch Raiders. It's not as good. And then you watch Temple of Doom, and you're like, ah, it's not as good as Last Crusade. You know. Um, so that, that's, I don't remember the first time I saw it, it would have been on VHS. Um, you know, my dad probably owned it and I just put it in and watched it. Um, but this is, I, I didn't go to the theater, at least that I recall. Uh, but to me, this is Indiana Jones. Like, this, like if this was the Indiana Jones movie, all the other ones were just garbage to me. Like I, I, they're why, why watch those? There's no. Sean Connery you know it's like if you watched Jurassic Park 3 and it was the only one to have Ian Malcolm in it and then you go back to the first Jurassic Park you're like where the hell's Ian Malcolm you know right and right right that's what it feels like to me uh to go to the other ones because it's just not the the adventure isn't as good in the other ones the I mean, some of the temples and the the traps and things and other ones are on par with what you get here. But I feel like the adventure is so much higher. The chemistry between uh, 
Connery and Harrison Ford is high. Yeah, this is this is Indiana Jones. If there's only one movie in the series and everything else gets abolished, let me have this one. Well, I think I I I kind of agree with that. Like, I kind of feel like this is the result of the other two. Like, this is the pinnacle. This is where the lessons were learned and applied. You know, um, and and not just in storytelling, but there's a lot there. You know, that has changed over the course of the series, but also in terms of like technique. This one definitely has the least noticeable special effects you know it has the most special mm-hmm. effects that work like there are some moments particularly i'm thinking the the blimp and airplane segments where it's pretty green screeny you know yeah um but i don't mind that but i'm thinking of it in terms of like comparing it to temple of doom where there were like some extreme green screen scenes you know yeah um and and uh this was much more I don't know. It just kind of felt better put together. And, and some of the set pieces in this are just extraordinary. The the whole boat chase with them whipping uh, between the boats. There were so and, many like, moments where I like, I went, cause it, like you said, it had been 20 years or so. I went, Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> like moments I thought were maybe in other indie movies or whatever. But I'm like, or I think the boat scene I had thought at one point was a James Bond movie. Oh, you know. Well, I mean, I can see that because it's yeah. you know, it's it's similar in style and tone, and it's just so good. Like when he's questioning the dude and the propellers chewing up the boat, and I'm thinking of that shot when the the two big ships come together and the one boat like squeaks through, and then the next boat yeah. like don't go between them. Are you crazy? <laughs> go between them. Are you crazy? Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. Um, the motorcycle chase segment, like it's short, yep. but it's fantastic. You know, it's really, really good how they kind of outsmart the other guys on motorcycles. Everything with the tank, the tank. I mean, sequence. All is the set pieces are awesome, and really then it caps good. off with something that isn't action, but is my favorite part of the film is the final temple. I just so good. It is, yeah, it is really good, and it's it's again probably the best done of these temple segments like you really understand what's going on in every segment yes. you understand like the logical course as he's putting together what he needs to do and why you know um and, and so yeah it's it's really well put together like I, I, I really really like it that struck me the hardest watching this movie was what i'm going to call the grail theme Okay. And anytime they talk about the Grail or the Diary, there's a song that plays. And it it that's what teleported me back to watching the movie for the first time. I get that. I, I yeah, cuz because I get the same thing with the Ark theme. I don't know if you notice yeah. when when they see the Ark when they're down in the uh the catacombs or whatever and they see the Ark like painted on the walls, are, are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Uh the arc theme kind of kicks in for a minute Mm. and uh, I get the same thing with that. Like it just kind of like gives me just a momentary chill, but yeah. Yeah. It's Sean Connery's narrating as he's writing when, when the young Indiana is there and his dad is narrating into his, his journal and that song played the first time I went, Oh yes. And I just was like so comfortable and cozy. I just, Oh yeah, I'm in good hands today. John Williams taking you into his warm embrace. Just, I, I one of my favorite themes that I didn't even realize uh, 
was in my head, you know, alongside Star Wars and Jaws and all those other things. And but here's this one theme that I completely forgot about, but I think emotionally means more to me than any of the others. Uh, the way which that, what struck me watching it. The way Williams puts together themes for individual like story components is just so extraordinary. Like you say Leia's theme, everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. You say the Imperial March, everybody knows what you're talking about. You know, like and and in the way that those themes can be used to reference story elements, you know, is is so great. I don't know if you watched the the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. But no. there's a judicious use of the Leia theme in that. And uh, it's kind of like, oh, man, so good. So, so good. Because, yeah, just the way that he can create these these emotional touch points with just a few bars of music. And and uh, and you're immediately kind of transported right where he wants you. And, yeah, I think that's kind of yeah. what there's you're referring a, to in with the Grail uh, theme. Epic rap battle of history. I don't know if you're familiar of with watching any of yeah. those. But there's one with Spielberg. <laughs> And versus Hitchcock, of all people, uh, (laughs) which is very pertinent to this program. Uh, But there's a line that Hitchcock says, half your billions should go to John Williams. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. as, as, As good as your storytelling is without John Williams, I don't know, you know, um, even Hitchcock, there's a story about the writing of the making of Psycho where he thought Psycho was crap. He's like, oh, man. And then Hermer, Herman Bernard, I might be saying that his name wrong, but he wrote the score for Psycho in North by Northwest, but Psycho specifically. And afterwards, they watched it with the score. He's like, you saved my movie. Like, it, that's what music does. And I think there's no one better than John Williams. Agreed. Like, greatest of all time. It's not even close. Not even like, close. I mean, he's Tom Brady at this point. So, yeah. So let's uh, let's get into it a little bit. Um, the opening of the film, the the River Phoenix. I forgot. Like, uh, I knew River Phoenix was in this, and I knew this scene. But once it started, I'm like, oh yeah. I oh, uh, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if you ever mess with Framed. Do you ever play Framed? It's like a one yeah, of those little wor- Wordle style. Yeah. So this movie was uh, the Framed movie like a month ago, and all it showed was like a couple of stone formations and that blue, blue, blue sky for the first uh, shot. And I immediately knew what it was because no yeah. movie has ever had a bluer sky than the opening of The Last Crusade. It is so intensely blue. Uh, you know, the, the cinematography of this sequence is extraordinary. Like, it looks so good. Like, yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Some of those long shots of the kids on their, I don't know, donkeys or horses. I guess they're horses. Uh, riding through the desert in that blue sky in the background. Oh, man. Just gorgeous. Like, you just want to be there, you know? Um, so, yeah, I... I I really liked it. I love seeing River Phoenix in this part. Every time I see River Phoenix in anything, my heart hurts a little bit, you know, because uh, just tragic what happened. The tragedy, to, yeah. You know, what happened to that guy. But he's so good in this and, and so perfectly cast. And Yeah, like when they, what they tried to do with Shia LaBeouf, you know, like River Phoenix would have worked, you know. Oh, like, 100%. This would be the next, he would, yeah. yeah, he would. that would be it. Like the franchise would have transitioned and on they went. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I also wanted to to call out uh 
Indy's buddy, and I don't remember the name of the character, but the kid, the kid with the bugle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just love that kid. Every time yeah. I see him, I'm like, that kid is so perfect for this part. Just with his red cheeks and the way he's always just like a little bit shiny. Out of breath. <laughs> he's out of yeah. breath. And he looks like... He looks like a walking, talking Norman Rockwell painting of like a 1910s uh, Boy Scout. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just with those apple cheeks and so on. And I, <laughs> I just think it's great. And the way Indy kind of like, you know, is grabbing his shirt and kind of bossing him around and telling him what to do. Um, it's just snakes, which, <laughs> uh, you know, that's the first moment you're like, whoa, okay. You know? Yeah. It's, so they're, they're, they're on a field trip of some kind or a boy scout trip and they find this cave and there's some indiana jones style adventurer in there digging for treasure and they find some cross that i don't remember it's important somehow coronado's cross and it belongs in a museum so we're back to that uh but there's a snake crawling across the bugle boy and you know indy picks it up and he's like it's just a snake you know and of course Indiana Jones is one of his big things is being afraid of snakes. Yeah, it it's it's funny because like this the sequence really is like super fan servicey, you know. Um but it absolutely works because in the course of what 10 minutes at the beginning of the movie, you get like the whip, the snakes, the hat, the scar, <laughs> yeah, you get everything. You get everything. Like it's like a, he he's just a kid, and then he becomes Indiana Jones at that point. Yeah, and, by the end of the scene. But the sequence also establishes uh, this relationship that he has with his father, and, and the kind of distracted manner in which his father parents him or doesn't parent him, or you know, however you want to say it. Like his dad is so into his studies of the Holy Grail, uh, he can hardly he can hardly look away from it. Like at some at one point, the cops come in and they're questioning Indy for for taking this cross, and his dad doesn't even dad come doesn't out. Even show he doesn't up. even come out of his room. <laughs> yeah. He's just in there doodling in his Grail book, you know, like whispering to God as he's doing it. Um, so get a brief shot of Indiana the dog. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Which comes back. You know, they don't call him Indiana in the scene, but. Um, so it's really, it's really a fantastic sequence. I love, I love the circus train, like all, uh, all the animals, uh, in the, 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 the rhino goring through the top of the thing. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's such a great set piece to start the movie. It, it really is. It really is. And, and, uh, again, as usual, this was the first time my kids had seen this movie. And, oh yeah. And I was, when I turned it on today, I'm like, I wonder if, or yesterday, I wondered if, you know, if Eric's showing this to his kids again, I did, I did, and this this piece actually absolutely worked for them. Like they were they were all in once they figured out. Like there was a lot of debate between them because they're pretty young; they're five and nine or mm-hmm. six and nine. And uh, there was a lot of like, is that that's is so that indie? Fun. And then they saw the guy in the hand. They're like, no, that's indie. And then he turned around. And they're like, is that indie? <laughs> like they, they, they yeah, just like that's awesome. <laughs> didn't really, you know. And then it finally clicked on them, you know, what was going on. Uh, but yeah, it's it really is a good way to to pull you into the movie and give the character a little bit more depth and backstory that he was lacking in the other films. That's how you know content is timeless. Like if you show them a movie that came out in 89 and they're still all in then it's timeless 
because I, I showed my son Looney Tunes and he can't stop watching them. You know, like we're in the age of all kinds of anime and cartoons whenever you want them. You know, Saturday morning cartoons are gone. But I put on the Looney Tunes. He's like, oh, yeah, he's rolling, laughing, you know. They just all the things that I love duck season, rabbit season, and it's just timeless. They're, yeah, it's so good. I've got an awesome Looney Tunes Blu ray set, and same deal. Like, my kids went through a hardcore Looney Tunes uh, phase after I showed them that for the first time. Sidebar, real quick do you have HBO? Yes. Have you watched the HBO Looney Tunes cartoons, the new ones that they've been producing, like for HBO Max? Why? They're, are they worth it watching? They are wonderful. They are wonderful. Okay. The character design is slightly different than it used to be, but it's weird stuff. For some reason, they gave Bugs yellow gloves, or I don't, I don't know, whatever. But like, yeah. the, the spirit, <laughs> the spirit, and the tone of the things. Just the like, old man in me is like, oh. yeah. There, there are so many iterations of Looney Tunes. Just make sure you don't fall into the wrong ones, you know, because so You're many like of space them, jam. so many of them God. have been whack. But these ones that they're making for HBO are. Fantastic. The new it's Space very, Jam is so horrible. Oh, that new Space Jam. Oh, my God. It should just be shot into a rocket. And like when I get a time sun. machine right after I kill Hitler. Oh, I'm going right to the studio and saying, you mother. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Let's not because I could go on and on. <laughs> Those costumes. I could go on and on with that Space Jam. We're back. We're back. We're back. So what? Okay. So we cut to he's now after this adventure, this sticks with him so much. He hunts down the billionaire or whoever who bought the cross from this Indiana Jones style adventurer and and gets it back. Go ahead. He kills everybody. He kills everybody. <laughs> he didn't do it on purpose. The ship they're in a storm and like lightning or something hits and then this barrel explodes and everybody but Indy dies. And the next day he's at school like it's no big deal. Yeah, he's, here's a question that I'll oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, like he ends up floating on a ring in the middle of an ocean in the middle of a storm. And then you're just like left to assume that he swam home. <laughs> he found a refrigerator. Right. Exactly. He's magic. And it like was that. like a submarine. So here's a question. Yeah. Is Indiana Jones having inappropriate relationships with his students? Yes. Okay. Uh, it, was that in the book? But I mean, no, there's, no, there's, it is not. Well, the, there's a point where everyone's dreamily looking at him, you know, and that's fine. You know, that young girls will dreamily look at, you know, people like that they respect or men of authority or whatever. But then they're when they're leaving, he gets like a sly smile on his face as one of them passes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like. It's either that or he just doesn't even notice. Like, it's one or the other. Like, either... I don't know. Because after the the revelation that came in the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode that you presented to us... Yes. I don't think there's any question. Well, Indy, Indy is not uh, shy about getting down with the ladies. Like, for sure. You know? Like, he... Yes. He definitely... Uh, you know, with Willie and Elsa. And he's a college professor now, right? So these are at least... These are adults, yes. Of age women, yes. yes. Um, so, yeah. My my question is, how is he keeping his job as a professor, right? So, 
at the beginning of that scene, I'm assuming that he has just gotten back from a very long trip. He was off on an Indiana Jones adventure recovering the cross of Coronado, right? Yeah. And so his entire class shows up at his office, I'm sure, trying to like be like, oh, hey, where's my exam score? Oh, hey, where's the paper I turned into you? Oh, hey, you know, like we have to catch up on this stuff because you've been gone for a month in the middle of the yeah. semester. And he dips out the window. <laughs> but, uh, but first, his office is like a the, you know, the, what do you call it? Like the water heater's in there. And it's just a small thing with a couple handmade shelves with different artifacts. Yeah, rhino heads and Like, stuff, they just yeah. dumped them in the back. So, I mean, maybe that's how he keeps his job. Like, you're not using your office anyway. Yeah. Because you're never freaking here, so we put you in the boiler room. Like, he is kept on staff, I think, so they can send him out to go get stuff for the university. Yeah, I'm here. sure he brings in the money for them yeah. somehow. Money talks. Like, they don't care whether he's a good teacher or not. Yeah, he's got to have some, like, quality TAs in there doing the doing the work. So, yeah, I think it's a uh, there is definitely some infatuation from the students, and uh, it was definitely a different time then. I think a lot of the rules that are in place now that, well, hell, I don't even know. Like, when you're a professor in college, are you allowed to sleep with students? I think if you're tenured, maybe, you know. Yeah, I, I, think, mean. <laughs> I think, like, that's okay. Like, I think. As long as they're 18. Like, high school is yeah. out, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. But college. I, well, absolutely. But once you get to college and they're, they're adults, yeah. I guess you're allowed. It's like a Even though I, I think there's, I, it's one of those things where it's morally wrong, but not illegal. Yeah, or against the, like, against the university rules. I definitely remember uh, very specific instances. Of course, I was in college in the '90s, but uh, I I definitely remember uh, students dating TAs, like fr- friends of mine. And I definitely remember uh, one instance where a professor was dating a student. Um, uh, it was problematic. He was married. It was like this whole thing. But uh, <laughs> well, that usually tends to be the other part. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I think. But I think back then, back then backfires for sure. He... For sure, I think it was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, like you said, he escapes. Uh, it, doesn't he get the letter at this point or something? Um, first, he gets the package for Venice. He gets kidnapped first. He gets kidnapped uh, by the dudes who drag him off to see Donovan um, before he goes home and gets the letter. Uh, or maybe okay. does he get the letter in the office? He might get the. I want to say he gets, he gets it in the, in the office, but he doesn't then gets open kidnapped. it. Yeah, he doesn't open right. it. He's got it with him, but he doesn't open it. So he gets kidnapped by by Donovan, who is like yo yo. We're looking for the Grail, and Indy's immediately like, "I don't want to look for the Grail. Like, I'm not into that. That's my dad's stuff." Uh, yeah, and, and the guy's like, "Oh, but look at this evidence. Look, we have this shield or this tablet that we've got, and it's kind of like telling us where to go." And Indy's still like, "Ah, nope. That's you got the wrong guy. You're looking. You're looking for my dad." And finally, Donovan says, "Okay, your dad was in charge of this, but he's gone missing." And at that point, Indy engages. He's like, "All right, I'll do so. Okay." Yeah. Uh, maybe even not at that point. I think he goes home and talks to uh, Brody first, Marcus Brody. <laughs> the most useless person in the history of film. Fortunately, they're self-aware about it, but he is garbage. Like, he just doesn't do anything right. It's funny because, like, when he's on campus, he seems capable, you know? Yeah, confident and in charge. He, he's yeah. in his element. 
And it's interesting because, like, I, I hadn't noticed it before watching these films, but you can actually see the moment when he transitions from capable academic guy to bumbling traveler. Like, you can see that moment happen in the film. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, like, he says, like, and he says, tell him we'll take a ticket. And Brody says, oh, t- I'll tell him we'll take two. And then the next shot is uh, them kind of boarding the plane. And, and he's like, Marcus is fretting. So what's going to happen when we get there? And they're like, oh, you know, Dr. Elsa will be there to greet you. And he's like, that, that's right where it happens. And for the rest of the yeah. movie, he's dead weight. He's a mess. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's just dead weight. And, you know, obviously played for, for comic relief. Um, and, and he's kind of endearing. Uh, but really has no business being on this trip whatsoever. And you have to wonder why he was like, you know, I'll tell him we'll take two. Like, like, uh, cause he thinks more of himself than, you know, like, yeah. Hey, uh-huh. <laughs> maybe he's like, if I adventure, I can sleep with some of my students. <laughs> I'm guessing it's maybe what he's up to. It's funny because there's never a moment where Indy's like, Marcus, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, like, like with <laughs> yeah. his dad all the time, he's like, dad, you know, <laughs> but with Marcus, he's just like, yeah, okay, we're dragging Marcus along, you know, and knowing full well Marcus's nature. There's that point where he gives the Nazis the speech about how talented Marcus is and how he'll be, you know, he has friends in every city from he'll here. He'll blend in. He'll he blend knows in. a dozen languages. Yeah. Uh, and he knows full well that it's just nonsense because Marcus is out in the streets bumbling around and, you know, uh, but they never, they never at all like admonish Marcus for his nature, <laughs> yeah. which is not an adventurer. Yeah. He needs to stay put. Gets lost in his own library, as they say. Yeah. So they, uh, so we, they end up in Venice, those two. Yeah. And they meet up with Allison Duty who plays Elsa, they say her last name, Schneider, or something like that. Doctor, where they assume, Dr. German lady. Yeah, they assume they're, the doctor is a man, but of course, uh, you know, she's not. Elsa, very attractive woman. So, of course, Indiana Jones is on board. Um, immediately. Immediately yeah. with the flower and the flirting and the patter. And, you know, like, like I think... They both realize, like, oh, this is a counterpart. Like, this is this is a counterpart. The way that they like so quickly fall into that, you know, the thing, the little conversation they have about the flower, you know, and tomorrow it'll be yeah. faded, and you know, I'll just get you another. Uh, the, you know, they're simpatico right out of the gate, and yeah. Uh, so they there's a little bit of like bumbling around, but very quickly they zero in on this library that they have to go to because they're looking for uh, another another version of the tablet. There's this the whole backstory. Yeah, they about have an incomplete brothers. Yeah. reading of this thing that tells you more information about where the grail is, and they think they can find the rest of it in this tomb. Right. And I love the library scene so much. There's something iconic about it that just I adore. The giant stained glass window with the Roman numerals. X marking the spot because the, the the Roman numeral for 10 is X and it's on the floor. Yeah. X marks the spot after he told his students X never marks the spot. It's funny because as a video game player, I was utterly unimpressed with Indy solving that puzzle. Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I looked at that window and I was like, this is the easiest puzzle ever. Like, how yeah. And Elsa says, I must be blind. And I'm like, yeah, you really must be yeah. blind because like. That's like we get that Marcus Brody doesn't get it. He's an idiot. (laughs) 
but you two the should Roman be on board. are right on the pillars. <laughs> like they're right <laughs> there in front of you. It's the easiest puzzle in the history of puzzles. But you you get the gag of him stamping the floor as the the librarian is stamping the books. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. I love it. It is classic. Zero regard for like ever going back to the library and being like, "Hey, yeah, sorry about the, the floor." floor. <laughs> Just... This beautiful floor, marble, you know. And they, they now this part always I found like so dangerous. They go in and there's petroleum in the water, which allows them to light a torch. But I'm like, at any moment, why would you light anything right down here? Right. Same thought. Like as soon as he flicked that lighter, I'm like, fumes, fumes, you guys. <laughs> yeah. But they're, yeah. And even ignoring fumes, one drop and we do see what happens. And that's it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, it's so stupid. <laughs> he is very confident in his torch's ability to not set them on fire. He uses the same water to get his rag damp to make the torch. It's that flammable. Yeah. He's out of his mind. He is out of but his mind. There's rats everywhere. And, you know, you get that Sean Connery's character now hates rats. Like, as much as Indy hates snakes, that's how much. Uh, Henry Jones hates rats. Yeah, interesting that there's no payoff for that later other than like a quick joke. Like I, I kind of was expecting some sort of rat sequence to, to come into yeah. play, you know, later on in the film. Um, I say I was expecting. I know that there's not. I feel like there should be. You know, should have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they make it through the rats. They they find the tomb of Sir whoever, and uh, his his shield is actually the other piece of the tablet, and he does a rubbing. And then these mysterious dudes show up and set the petroleum water on fire, which then leads to like a grand escape scene. Yeah. Um, where they hide. I, I like where they hide under the coffin. Yeah. I thought that's cool. It still works for me. Um, but them swimming out, uh, they're dead. Like as far as the library is from the little manhole they get out of. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. for sure they're dead. I think they're dead. Like yeah. he opened his eyes underwater, and my daughter was like, "Don't open your eyes in the petroleum." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, they're dead, but they survive because it's the movies. And this is the thing: is like there are plenty of times where he nukes the fridge in these three films, but. For some reason, nuking the fridge is the one that everyone hates. Yeah. But there, there are plenty of times where you have to be like, okay, he's dead here, but oh, whatever. Yeah, it's Indiana for Jones. For sure. There's tons of survival nonsense in these movies. And yeah, it, yeah it's funny and, that that's the one that everybody sees dead. And nuking like, the fridge was not my problem with that movie. Oh, me either. No, I, d I yeah. didn't care at all. I thought that whole sequence was kind of cool. I mean, we'll, we'll get there. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. But uh, but yeah, you're right. Like There are a ton of times in these movies where he should just be dead. And and it's not, uh, and and his survival is because it's the movies. So does this do, at this point then do we go immediately into the boat scene? Like is that is that what happens right after they get out of the well, library? Well, no, because they take the guy. Well, yeah, when they're running in the library, that's when they're in the boat scene, and uh, the leader of this group who has a Fu Manchu and a Fez, which I'm gonna start rocking now because he looks cool. <laughs> like I, I like that character, even though he's on the screen for a blink. Yeah. The, he's a cool character he, to me. He kind of comes know? back at the end briefly too, right? 
Yeah, he's there at the end uh, near the final sequence. But just his, I like his motives are so pure. Protectors of the Grail. And he's got the tattoo and he just looks awesome. Yeah. And so he's he's actually the guy whose side we should be on. You know, like, let's leave the artifacts alone. Let's let, you know, he's that's the guy I'm like, okay, him I get. Yeah, he belongs you to know, like this, maybe, this shadowy organization that's just committed to keeping the Grail a secret. And you have to wonder, like, is this a full-time job? Like, do these guys just wander around all the time hunting down people who are looking for the Grail and killing them? I think they're on patrol <laughs> or, in or is different... it more like, hey, activate the team. Somebody's looking for the Grail again. You know, like you got somebody kind of staking out the library and then uh, they yeah, send out I think a that's message probably and more everybody puts on their fezzes and kind of <laughs> rolls out. <laughs> <laughs> like normal, yeah. in normal life, like one's a baker and one's like, you know, a shoemaker. And then they, they kind of moonlight as the SWAT team to protect the Grail. I'm on board with that. Make that film. <laughs> Uh, so they, they do separate and he finds out that, uh, through, how does he find out where his dad is? Uh, the guy is it tells him the grail man. Yeah. The guy tells him, um, the guy like cuts a deal with him, Like, let me go. Don't kill me. And I'll tell you, you know, where your dad is. Um, oh, but you also get, okay. So the boat scene where it's getting chopped up by the propellers of the boat. Yeah. It's so good because Indy has no control. He's got the guy, tell me where my dad is. And he's, or he's really just protecting the grill. He goes, no. And he's like, if you don't, you're going to die. And he goes, I know where, you know, what does he say? My soul is. My soul is ready as yours or something of that nature. Yeah. yeah something along those lines. And of course, Indy, the, you know, guy who sleeps with students and underage women, his soul is not ready. And so <laughs> he gets out of there. Um, yeah, I love that scene. That, that's one of the moments where I really like that character because he's just like, I'm prepared to die for this. This is like he actually has like ethics and motivations that are sure. And, and whether you agree with them or not, he's firm in them. And that's why I like about the character. Yeah, it's, it's they're they're initially presented as bad guys. And then it's kind of like a little it turns it on its head a little bit. And you're like, oh. They're not. They're sort of the neutral. Their their loyalties to the Grail. Yeah, they're not necessarily bad guys at all. They're going to stop anybody trying to to get at the Grail. Um. So th- he ends up. Uh. He ends, they go to Berlin. No, they go to the castle. That's that's yeah. what it is. They go to the castle to recover. Uh. Sean Connery. <laughs> that's where they have the scene. Uh, with boy. Zit- so this is what thirty min- <laughs> thirty minutes in or so. When we get Sean Connery, and the movie just it goes from being good to brilliant yeah uh once sean connery shows up so you know they they get in there and he has to leave what's her face in the other room elsa uh, this is after their uh hotel had been ransacked yes yeah um they were looking for something they were looking the for the grail, grail diary, diary and he had it on him yeah and she's like you didn't trust me and then they sleep together or was that before no uh, yeah they sleep together there yeah you're right yeah Okay. Um, then they go to the castle to view the tapestries, which is one of my favorite moments. In, in oh, all yeah, the it's films. good. Where he sees she's wearing what kind of hat is that? A beret. They they, yeah. they swap hats and uh, pretend that they're there to look at the art in the castle as way. And of course, in. the guy, which I love, doesn't buy it. He's like, "Listen, bro, <laughs> <laughs> we have many tapestries, but you know, you ain't it. If you're what do you say? If you're French, I'm Mickey Mouse. Something along those yeah. lines." 
Uh, great scene. Uh, so but anyway, he gets in to get his dad. He gets bludgeoned by his dad. And then uh, that leads to like just, I don't know, there's probably 15 minutes of castle hijinks. And it's all fantastic. You know, the whole thing yeah. where they're tied to the chair. and Well, before that, so you get the heel turn of Elsa. So they go in the room and, and dad's like, she's a Nazi. And he, he's like, no, what? And he, because they're one of the Nazis, the evilest Nazi you've ever seen, played by Michael Byrne, who's just awesome because he's got these deadly blue oh, eyes. For sure. Yeah. He's so evil. I love him. Um, the actor, that is. <laughs> and um, he's got Elsa held at knife point or gunpoint. And he's like, give me the Grail diary or she dies. Go ahead. And kill her. Sean, <laughs> Sean Connery's like, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, she's a Nazi. And uh, how do you know she's a Nazi? She talks in her sleep, you know? <laughs> and it's at that moment that Harrison Ford realizes he's Eskimo brothers with his dad. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> it is. It's really I, good. I thought that was perfect uh, karma for his promiscuity to end up <laughs> like, just like you guys occupied the same space. And you came after. <laughs> yeah, it's good times. It's good times. <laughs> I just no. So so Elsa Elsa is then revealed to be bad. She's working with the Nazis, and, and that's when we get the castle hijinks where they're tied in the chair, and Dad sets the the floor on fire accidentally trying to burn through the ropes, and then they end up at the fireplace, and it's got a secret switch, and the, the whole oh, the yeah. whole thing where it's spinning around, and oh, now the Nazis are in it, and it's spinning around, and and uh, they're trying to free themselves, and, and uh, they do eventually get free, and then that leads into the motorcycle chase, and it's just what I don't get. Oh yeah. So they go basically Harrison Ford shoes the boats off like they're horses. Yes. And um why and then they get in a box and hide. And this boat fiasco totally fools everyone. Yeah, and a clearly empty boat is like a hundred yards down the river and everybody's like, let's go after them in the boats. And then they come out of the box in the motorcycle while everybody is still on shore. Why not? Wait! Give it a couple minutes. I just come on because it's the movies. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but anyway, that's what going back to talking about. For these are the sort of logic gaps that just still exist in these films, and it's fine. We don't care. But and so you get the awesome chase with the motorcycle, and then his dad's disappointed. Like he pulls that trick. And Indy's so proud of himself, and he looks at his dad, and his dad is just nonplussed. Totally unimpressed. He at, yeah. <laughs> he looks at his watch, winds it. Like, he is, like, disappointed in his son even in this moment or something. And even when, like, later on where he sticks the flagpole in the tire and the spectacular motorcycle crash happens, and he looks at his dad for approval, and he just doesn't get it, you know? <laughs> It's really funny. the whole dynamic between them in this movie, and <clears throat> we can go into it in more depth. But there's there's at least an element of the dynamic between them is them trying to kind of impress each other and not being impressed with each other. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's really funny because later on, Sean Connery has a few great moments, like when he shoes the shoes the birds up into the plane, and it is yep. and he's just like looking <laughs> at him, just bewildered, you know, and and. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like they each have their own 
definite strengths um but they have known each other so well and for so long that and in this weird antagonistic relationship that they're just not able to give each other credit for being awesome and uh it's really funny it, it's it's very very good yeah actually just an excellent introduction to sean connery's character yeah it couldn't have gone better so then uh connery uh dr jones senior insists that they go to berlin to to pick up the grail diary and indy's like no we already have brody has the map what do we need the diary for and he's like there's other stuff in the diary besides the map you know there's the the, the uh, solution to yeah the riddles. he's like there's three challenges that you have to get through and he and he's well what are they I don't know. <laughs> I wrote it down so I wouldn't have to remember. But the the whole sequence in Berlin, you know, it's got this very belly of the beast sensation to it. You know, um, it, it kind of almost reminded oh, me. Oh, at the book burning? At the book burning. It kind of reminded yeah. me of Indy and Willie looking down at the, in short round, looking down at like the Kali temple ceremony. Yeah, you guess, know, it had yeah. like the same vibes where like, oh, we should not be here, you know. And it is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. The the whole setup, I think, was just to give us, you know, A, the Hitler moment where Hitler autographs the book, you know, and you, yeah. he thinks he's busted and he's totally not busted because Hitler doesn't even know who he is. And uh, B, the the Elsa conversation, which kind of it kind of softens Elsa's character a little bit, you know, <sighs> like like I mean, she, she's. She's not happy about the book burning, clearly. Hey, all it does is say it. she's not a Nazi. And she doesn't turn him in, and she easily could, you know? Um, like, he says, when he's grabbing her throat, he says, all I have to do is squeeze. And she says, all I have to do is scream. And then neither one does. And they they part ways, and Indy has the Grail Diary, but uh, Elsa does not set the Nazis on his trail. Like, well, so her again, like her loyalty is to finding the Grail. Yes, for self, she's not protecting it like the the guys and fezes. She's very much just wants it for herself, and and that's what drives her motivation. Turning him into the Nazis doesn't do anything. They have all the information they need from the Grail diary already. Yeah. So, um, you know, they know the starting city, which was the whole thing. Um, Basically, they have an incomplete map. All they need to know is where to start. So she, yeah, she's not a Nazi. I mean, and she uh, she's very much upset by the book burning because as a what what is her profession? Archaeologist um, as a doctor, as an educator, uh, books and information and knowledge is important to her. So she very much hates this. Uh, but she still goes along with it because they're being a Nazi is what's going to get her to the grail. Yeah. So I, I have this for a question at the end, but I'm just going to pull it out now. Um, I, I found Elsa to be this movie's equivalent of Belloc in the first movie. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like here is somebody who is so close to Indiana Jones as far as like actions and motivations and things goes. Like it's just a shade off, 
between the two of them. At the beginning of the movie, they're both working for the same person, you know? So it's not even yeah. like in Raiders where Bellock's with the Nazis and, and Indy's with the American government. Like, they're both working for the same guy at the beginning of the movie and then also reveals that she's also, you know, like, involved with the Nazis and then, oh, big twist at the end, so is the guy. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, I feel like they are... Very, very similar. I feel like for Elsa, you know, although she is German, the Nazis are just a means to an end for her, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, uh, I, I mean, because they are so close, I guess my question that I was going to ask you is, is Elsa redeemable? Like, had she made slightly different decisions, like, is this a character that borders on being a good guy? I don't think so because she essentially is even willing to give up her own life for the grail. Oh, but so is Indy. Like Indy falls into the exact same trap. I hate like, that moment. Back we'll to get to back. that. Like they fall into the exact same trap and Indy's, I Indy's felt like connection that was out with of her character for wasn't enough to pull her out. But then Indy's dad's connection with him was enough to pull him out. And had his dad not said exactly what he said at that moment, Indy would have gone right down the hole after her, you know? Yeah. I don't like that moment because he is telling her, let go, you know, don't you, you will die if you don't do this. And then he falls for the, I, I found it to be sort of insulting to the character of Indiana Jones to me. Like, that he's that dumb to give advice and then and when it, the, the tables have turned to not heed it even for I I personally don't like that moment. I felt like uh, it was I get, a few things at play. Like I think I think it's showing again how how close they are to each other. And then I think like there's something about the draw of the grail. I mean, like, it's the holy grail, for God's sakes. You know, like, it, like yeah. you know, there's a reason why in our culture we refer to things that people really want as their holy grail. You know, like, right. it's, it's the thing that everyone has been after forever. It's like the ultimate archaeologist prize. And it's right there. He can touch it with his fingertips, you know. And so I could see how he could immediately fall into that in the heat of Like, only seconds are going by, you know. And and he he feels like just with like, you know, another second or two, he could just have it. And then, you know, they could have their cake and eat it, too. Uh, I get that. <laughs> My problem is it's preceded him bef- with the whole thing with her. Like, had he fallen in and they skipped the whole thing where Elsa's like trying to get it and she dies from, you know, her selfishness. Had that not happened immediately beforehand, I'd been fine with it. Like if he's in there reaching for the cup and, you know, dad talks him out of it. Sure. Okay. This is, that makes sense. But with I, I, he even does like the same exact thing. I can almost get, I'm almost there. I've barely, I, my fingers are on it. You know, it, it kind of, to me just felt too much of a stretch in that moment for me. Okay. I think that's fair. That's fair. I, I like I say, it had it not proceeded with him giving the exact advice, you know, that his dad gives him. <laughs> like I just, I don't know. We'll we'll just but, agree um, to disagree on that one. Uh, sure, yeah. that's fine. It's it, I, it doesn't bother me. Um, but he, uh, 
so now we had the blimp sequence. Have we done that yet? No, we, we, we haven't talked have... about the blimp sequence, but oh. essentially they're they're trying to get away uh, from Germany on a blimp, you know, like basically taking a plane out of Germany, um, taking the 1939 equivalent of a plane out of Germany. And so I really like the stuff on the blimp, and I don't even know it's because of what happens there. Just there's this sort of fascination for me with what it was like being on a blimp and seeing it. And I'm like, that looks so cool. I would have loved to have been on a blimp like that. It's just something about it does it for me. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. There's a really cool Hindenburg movie, if you've never seen it, from like the 1970s that goes into but like it's kind of like titanic where there's this whole story taking yeah. place on the hindenburg and then at the <laughs> yeah. end it just burns up but uh yeah it's it's uh it's pretty cool but yeah i i agree like i've always had kind of a a low-key fascination with what that must have been like because it seems like both tight quarters but also very luxurious at the same time just that little capsule at the bottom of this gigantic thing yeah uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it looks so cool. It is pretty um, cool. But so the evil German man Vogel, who again played by Michael Byrne, who's awesome, he's on there, you know, looking for the Joneses and he finds dad. But the whole time, like Harrison Ford changed his costume to be one of the staff, and he's like, Tickets, please. And as he dumps the guy out the window, everyone looks at him and he's like, Didn't have a ticket. Awesome. It's so funny. I never noticed before, like, how tight that jacket was on him. Like, it just absolutely <laughs> doesn't fit in his shirts, like, hanging out the bottom. Uh, I don't know. Just kind of a funny touch that I've never noticed before, probably just because the resolution on VHS is so crappy. But. Yeah, I just, in watching this movie, I'm like, this movie's so funny. And we've talked so much about Spielberg's lack of ability to do comedy and just how good the comedy is in this between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. And I I, I just have to chalk it up completely to those two. I, I can't give it, Spielberg any credit. Like, the so much of the things that make me laugh are really Sean Connery's face and Harrison Ford, their, their face facial reactions to each other. Uh, like we talked about on the bike. Sean Connery never utters a word, and yet... Like he just turns and looks and I'm rolling like these two guys are on a different level. And I just think that you can't make it not funny with those. Yeah, two. I, I do give him a little bit of credit, though, because I think this is like the sort of stuff where where his comedic instincts are dead on where he fails is at physical comedy. And it's funny because he can pull off physical gags like as far as like stunt work and things like that go just like not yeah. not slapstick like that. That's it. Like interactions between humans, comedic interactions between humans, fine. Slapstick, totally no. Like a hundred percent no. Not. And and so sticking to these like these these conversational uh things, that's where his sweet spot is as far as comedy goes. I also like the bit on the blimp because it gives them it slows the movie down for a minute and it allows them to have yeah. time to kind of talk about their relationship and uh their history and you know indy makes some pretty brutal accusations against his dad 
you know, you never you never cared about me. You were just obsessed with the grail, you know, and, and then Henry kind of defends his parenting style like, well, I never told you to go I to bed. I never told you to clean your room. Yeah, I gave you independence yeah. and taught you to stand for yourself and so on and so forth. And so there's kind of this like push and pull between the two and their their different perspectives on what Indy's childhood was like. And And dad does something in this scene that just is so realistic, but it drives me up the wall because it I, like where he says, okay, we've got time. What do you want to talk about? And it, and of course, in that moment, Indiana's like, well, I can't think of anything. And he's like, well, there you go. You know? And like that sort of passive aggressiveness from his father is perfectly played to the point where it makes me angry. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're a hundred percent correct. Having, you know, all of us have been in that situation before. <laughs> and of course, yeah. you're not going to be like, well, let's talk about Tommy down the street. You know, like, no, you're not going to be able to come up with somebody, some something in the moment when somebody puts you on the spot like that. And uh, yeah, you're right. That is a really well-written and well-played moment. Yeah. So then uh, that kind of leads into a few more action sequences. The blimp is turning around. They steal the plane. Oh, uh, love the sequence of the shadows on the table. Oh, so much. Yeah. It's so simple. And yet it makes me happy. No, it, it um, is great. And, and the whole, the whole plane bit is great too like particularly the bit with the plane the plane <laughs> in the shoots. tunnel is fantastic uh oh it's good yeah but when he shoots when dad shoots the plane you know shoots his own plane awesome because we could have all made that mistake but um he, he's like sorry son we've been hit <laughs> love it love it so much um did you know there's a technology that was developed i think even in in the world war ii era where the guns are sort of programmed for the bullets to pass between the propellers without shooting them you know i kind of did know something about that um and i think it's bonkers that they were able to because yeah. it had to be mechanically right like it's not computer right. stuff so like they had to mechanically make it so that the bullets could pass between the propellers and that's just insane like <laughs> Yeah, I, how cool! I just, how cool is that? Yeah, exactly. They just need one where it doesn't shoot the tail off the back of the plane. Right, right. Well, you would think that they would have had like some sort of stopper there, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know. You have to rotate the other way around or something. Right. But it's still good. You get the sequence with the crash. They get in a car, and the the plane flies through the tunnel and rips the wings off and explodes. And then, and it doesn't get any closer than that. And then, uh, and then Henry pulls his stunt with the birds that we talked about. It's good. Yeah, it's very good. It is very good. Um, So from there, then the next scene, there was Sala and Sala's in the movie from here forward, right? Like, uh, so they must have been, they must have been pretty close to Alexandretta because uh, they're there, Sala's there, Brody's there, everybody's reunited, and they're going to make the last push to Alexandretta. And meanwhile, the Nazis have secured... Uh, equipment from the local king guy, and they're making their push to, to Alexandretta. You're welcome as well, and uh, that leads to the the tank sequence, which is fantastic. So they've yeah, I really one of my favorite moments though is when Brody and Dad meet up and they do their little they do a little dance, almost like a 
that little secret handshake dance. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It is pretty good. And, and it, it kind of like just reveals like how deep Brody's connection with the family goes. Like he's known these yeah. guys forever. You know, like he's known Indy since he was a kid, clearly, because these two, you know, were in academia together and so on. The other moment I like is when evil super Nazi, again, played by Michael Byrne, who's awesome, is slapping Sean Connery with his glove asking why do you need the book you know if if we already know where the location is why do you need the book and as he's about to get slapped again sean connery grabs his hand and then just insults the man in such a wonderful way i can't remember the exact verbiage but i'm i think i'm gonna edit it in so you can hear it because it's awesome it's good yeah it is good and and in that moment like henry connor reveals himself as like you can push me, but don't push me too hard. You know, like yeah. it, 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 in when push comes to shove, not to be trifled with, you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the tank sequence happens. Uh, they think Indy's dead at the end. The blue-eyed Nazi catches it in the tank. They go over the, the cliff. Um, oh, it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Although I did think this was one weird piece in the movie where, uh, like, the tank goes over blue-eyed nazi is in the turret it hits the bottom the turret like breaks off the tank and you kind of see the dead body kind of flopping around down there and then it shows another long view of the tank and the turret is back on the tank and i've never noticed it before but i was kind of oh. like huh <laughs> like <laughs> that, oh. that ain't right come on guys uh but yeah. then that that leads to okay now now we're at the temple so this is a big character moment for Connery because he thinks Harrison Ford is dead and he sort of realizes all the times he could have been listening and being with his son and he wasn't. And as soon as Indy comes back, they hug. And I, Harrison Ford's acting is so good because while they're hugging, they show his face. And at first he's like annoyed, but then he's like, oh, this is nice to be hugged by your dad. You know, I just subtle and beautiful. Yeah. They, the dad's like, all right, what are you waiting? Let's go. <laughs> and then they, they show up at the awesome temple entrance etched into the side of that this mountain. Like damn near perfection in film to it's me. It's real. I, these, it's a real thing. I get that. But I mean, even what we're about to have. Oh, oh like yeah, 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 the, yeah. The three trials. I'm just talking about the, the crazy entrance there in the side of the Oh, cliff. it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. Like my wife looked it up while we were watching it. She was like, oh, this is in Jordan. It's like a real ancient thing. Like <laughs> you can go there and see it. And I was like, oh my God. Like they didn't make that for the movie. Nope. They didn't make it for the movie. They just found it out that, you know, like knew it was there and went and filmed there. I don't know. Just neat. It's neat. I would like to yeah, go see it. That sometime. is awesome. So you you get this sequence where the Nazis are sending just random guys in. People they call volunteers, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's, I think it's uh, the, king's, the king's guys. Like the king was like, you'll have troops and tanks and da da da. I think these are his troops. They're sending, yeah. they're sending the king's troops so, in to get beheaded by the traps. The first guy is in there. There's already a head that's come out. So they send the second guy and you get to see him get beheaded. Uh and then after the second guy gets beheaded, you hear, okay, next volunteer. <laughs> oh, it's, I thought that was funny. Well, they find uh, Indy and his group, which is consists of Marcus, Dad, and Sala. And uh, he's like, well, you're going to go in there and get the grail. Well, no, I'm not. And just, 
another great moment where he's like shooting me. If you shoot me, you're not going to get the grail. And he's like, you're right. And he shoots dad. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and it basically says the healing power of the grail uh, is the only thing that will save your dad. And, and, and he realizes that, you know, he's got to He's got to do it. Checkmate. Yeah. yeah. He just got outsmarted. Um, and, and it, I love it so much. I love this. This is why I love the movie. I mean, obviously, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, but I love this temple more than any of the ones they do in any of the other films by a mile. This is my favorite. It, it is really cool. And, and like each of the three traps is unique and interesting and uh, has its own. I don't know. It's cool. It's really cool how the way that Indy, yeah. the way that Indy kind of puts it together and figures out, you know, the solutions to to the traps is, are excellent. Um, I mean, how many times have you just been doing nothing and you, only the penitent man will pass? <laughs> penitent man, yeah. penitent man, only the penitent man will pass. <laughs> I say it all the time, just for no reason. That's awesome. Yeah. So the, he dodges these blades. It's awesome. Then there's the. He has to spell Jehovah, but in Greek or whatever ancient Hebrew in or Latin, it, it starts actually, with an I. Yeah. Well, it starts with an I, which, you know, in Greek, it starts with a Y. But anyway, um, you know, and I just love the J. <laughs> <laughs> and then his foot goes right through. Great stuff. Um, and then the third trial is one that I think maybe. When I was a kid, it was magical. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, this. Like, I, There's something where my brain logically is like, got a problem with it. Okay, so another question at the end that I'm going to bring up now. Do you think that the bridge is even there before he takes that step? I suppose maybe in this world... It's not. There are supernatural things. So that totally could be it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I was thinking about these traps, and I was thinking about the cave in general, and I was thinking about how the cave kind of falls apart at the end and the grail goes down. And I feel like this temple resets itself, you know? Like, I feel like those yeah. blades will slide back into place. I feel like those stones will pop back up into that that Jehovah room and I feel like that bridge will disappear again and I feel like the grail will show up back in that room with that old dude and those cracks in the floor will close I I, I just I kind of I like the sequence a lot better if we acknowledge that there's supernatural stuff going on here and that's the way I yeah. get around the bridge bothering me like I feel like yeah. the bridge is not there there's nothing there until he takes that step. I don't feel like, oh, there's an optical illusion. He just doesn't see it because some brilliant person always... in the past painted it that way. I feel yeah. like it materializes underneath him. And because in any other way, it doesn't work, you know, like because yeah. you could see the sides. It's like clearly, you know, like a, there's depth to that bridge. You know, it's a stone thing. Um and I don't care how good the illusion is, you're going to see it. You're going to see the edges. When you move right. your head from left to right, your perspective changes, and you'll see it kind of wiggling a little bit. Um, but if there's nothing there 
because we're talking about God stuff, which we clearly are talking about God stuff because of what happens to right. Donovan um, and Elsa and everybody else and Sean Connery. Uh, if, if we can buy the presence of God on that level, why not buy the fact that there's no bridge there? And it is a leap of I'm, faith. I'm with that and I accept it and it is now canon because I've always taken it as an optical illusion. Even as a kid, it's just like, oh, that's as a kid. I was like, that's cool how they did that. And as an adult, I'm like, that doesn't make any damn sense. Right. Um. So, yeah, God put the bridge there. I'm good with that. Cool. Uh, so we get to meet the Grail Knight um, played by Robert Edison, who is really wonderful for just the limited amount of screen time he gets. Um, the chosen wisely and chose poorly <laughs> lines best. are <laughs> they're iconic lines. Like how many memes yeah. have you seen? You know, he has chosen poorly, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> awesome. A room you get in this room filled with cups. So here's a question that may be on your oh, list. Oh, she kills him on purpose. Does she kills him on purpose? She does. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. She doesn't even think about it. She just goes and grabs the nearest one and is like, here it is, buddy. And <laughs> she's clearing the yeah. way for herself to take the grail, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. So, Elsa, so basically, um, Donovan's like, oh, I'm not an archaeologist. There's no way I could know. And Elsa's like, I'll pick for you. And he's like, yeah. And she picks the fanciest, most opulent cup. And Donovan's like, truly the, the cup of king of kings. And he drinks from it. You get some of the most spectacular special effects. Like, I mean, the face melting in the first one's good and all. But this is so oh, good. Yeah, it gets grosser than I remembered it getting. Like, it gets pretty gross. <laughs> and she's not even ready for it. So he, like, immediately, like, he starts aging. And, you know, kind of realistic. And then, like, his hair shoots out. He turns gray. He's a skeleton. He's grabbing Elsa. She's screaming. He's screaming. And then he shoots back and explodes into a skeleton. It's awesome. It is. It's really good. It's really good. It's right up there with the face melting in Raiders. Like, it's it's, it's really gross. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, and so is Harrison Ford's turn. Um and taking, I guess, I don't know, a lesson or he just, this is what he would have picked originally. He picks the most humble cup, which is still, I don't know if it's made out of brass. Uh, because, you know, Jesus was a carpenter mm -hmm. and never really had a lot of money. So he picks the most humble one. It's still a nice looking grail, though. Yeah, it's shiny on the inside. It's starting to like kind yeah. of fade with age on the outside a little bit. I don't know, like to me to me the representations of the Grail really I don't want to get too deep into it, but it kinda symbolizes to me the way that many branches of Christianity have gone off the path. Oh that's good. Like oh, they, that's they good. do all these things, you know, for the glory of God and they make these opulent things and, and you know, create these fabulous temples and cathedrals and, and, you know, spend all this money. And it's, it's all about, you know, the riches and the glory of God. And, you know, like even to the point, like in the United States where it's like, let's build a water slide for the glory of God. <laughs> it, what, what everybody or not everybody, but what many uh, branches of Christianity are missing out on is th that humility and the humbleness of, of, christ and christ origins you know and and just kind of like 
that's what Indy zeroes in on. Like he he knows the the origins of Christ. He knows the history of the thing, and so he goes for the most humble one because, you know, that's that's how Jesus lived, and that's really how Jesus said that everybody should be living. You know, the meek shall inherit the earth. I you're speaking my language, friend. Yeah. Um, I'm on board with that 100%. I love what you said. And so it kind of shows like why Donovan was just like, oh yeah, this must be it, you know? Yeah. Uh, because he comes from this, this modern American, uh, I don't know, mutation of Christianity. Um, and, and doesn't, he's not in touch at all with the reality of, you know, the history and so on and so forth. So. I don't know. Yes. Just an interesting thought that I, I had. I, I'm here 100% for that. Uh, so Harrison Ford chooses wisely. And one of my favorite effects is when, you know, he gives the cup, the water to drink to dad and it, it doesn't do much, but then he pours it on the wound and it fizzes up like uh, the hydrogen peroxide does, you know, and then he pours it again and it's clean. I love that effect so much. Like it works for me every time. It's just clean. It's just a clean effect. Like it's it's cool. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I I I love the the healing and you know, so then Elsa grabs the cup and of course the rule is and this is what I like too. Like I mean yeah you get eternal life but you can't take the mug out of the temple. You gotta stay. So you gotta stay. But I'm wondering like if you could leave, and then go live life and oh I'm not feeling so hot. Go back. Drink some from the cup. Yeah, do the the three trials again, like you said. It resets, and then drink from the cup. You know, <laughs> go back out. Um, so I wonder if that's like the thing. But one thing I didn't realize until this viewing is the reason that Grail Knight. He's very much. He's not a ghost. He's the knight. He's been drinking out of the Grail the whole time to protect it, and that's how he stays alive. Yes. He's ready to die, though. He is ready you know? to go. He's he is like, 100% you're, like, you're here to slay me. This yes. cave is boring. <laughs> Please take this cup. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So as she leaves, the, the ground opens up. And as we discuss, she tries to reach for the cup, falls in the hole. Indiana does the same thing, but gets pulled out by his dad, who has now realized what's more important. Uh, and that's the relationship with his son and friends yeah i like in this moment too instead of calling him junior he calls him indiana and he's very soft-spoken like he's not yelling at him to get his attention he takes the other tack and just softly says you know indiana let it go let it go yeah and and i got the impression he's talking more about she's talking about more than just the grail at that point you know like the history of their relationship and you know all this baggage they've both been carrying around and like i don't know if that's necessarily what henry jones senior was meaning in the moment but that's kind of what i took away from it you know just let it go just just you know yeah. move on like we're both ready to leave this grail thing behind and everything that it's meant to us in our relationship let's just go let's just get out of here you know and then we get brody doing one more dumbass thing <laughs> I know the way. <laughs> Follow me. And his horse takes over and they ride off into the sunset. I, I It's the last moment in the Indiana Jones movie ever. And they never went back and messed with it ever again. The end. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, this is the, the it, like the end of Terminator 2 when 
the T one thousand goes in the or not the T one thousand T one hundred goes in the hole or in the the lava and melts. That was the end of Skynet. This is the end of Indiana Jones. They never did anything ever again. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Were, were you even no. aware of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? I vaguely was, and I for some reason in my brain I thought it starred River Phoenix, um, but obviously that can't be nah, true. Sean, Sean Patrick Flannery, I think is the actor's name. I don't know who that yeah. is. Yeah, He was Powder in Powder. Um, okay, I have seen Powder. Yeah. Why has everyone seen Powder? That seems like such a random movie that everyone seems to have watched. Because it's weird, and it was on yeah. HBO constantly, I think. Yeah. I think, and it's easy, it's like extremely memorable, at least the visual of Powder Exactly, himself. yeah. As soon as you say Powder, I see that in my in my head. Like, just the face yeah. of the dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's it for Indiana Jones, the trilogy. We won't ever have to return to this world. Uh we're capping it off. We're, of course, being sarcastic. Yeah. We're going to watch the shitty one. But uh, next week, we're going to finish off another trilogy. We are. And you you are going to finally watch Back to the Future Part I am. 3. I am going to watch it, and I'm really looking forward to it. So Me too. Uh, so you'll join us Wait, 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 wait. We're that. not done. We're not done. Okay, I'm done. We're not. Oh, yeah, you got questions. questions. At least a couple that we haven't <laughs> talked to yet. All right, ready? Yes. Is this Indiana Jones more heroic than the ones we've seen in the past? No. The most heroic Indiana Jones is Temple of Doom. You think? He saves a bunch of children. He gives the artifact back to the native people. When he's done, he all he's done is good. Uh, he hasn't gained anything at the end of the film. And I, I guess you could say that about this, but... Who does he really save in this movie? What is what heroics is he really up he to? He saves his dad. I mean, I, I, I yeah. feel like okay, I, I feel like there's an evolution of Indiana Jones throughout these films, right? And I feel like by the time we hit this film, Indiana Jones, and it, it always comes back to religion with me on these these uh, podcasts. You would think that I'm a religious person, and I'm I'm not overly religious. I do I'm the not. most religiousing over yeah, here. Yeah, but it always comes back to religion for me. But I think that throughout the course of these films, Indiana Jones has accepted the reality of God. Like I I feel like like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The whole movie, people are like, oh, we've never messed with anything like this before. Like, we've not, you know, this is like something, and then he's like, blah, whatever. You know, like, it's not yeah. really, it's, it's just a big naysayer. By the time we get to The Last Crusade, Indy has seen enough stuff that when they say, you got to get the grail, it's the only thing that'll save your dad, he's just like, oh, you're right. Like, like yeah, I gotta he, go. He's... Like, he just fully accepts, like, he is all in on the fact that the grail is the real deal. Uh, yeah, he no longer claims it's Buckus. Yeah, there's right? no supernatural yeah. hocus pocus, Marcus. You know, like he's he's right. He's all in on it, and I even feel like over the course of these movies, these are trials that Indy is facing because he is being honed by God to be an Old Testament like agent of God. Like I feel like hmm. like he is passing through these purification trials because in every, each of the films 
he's essentially doing God's work, right? Like he's keeping the Ark out of the hands of the Nazis. He's working for the the uh, poverty-stricken village, returning, you know, these the religious stones, yeah. you know, be it one God or another, you know, if you look at all aspects, like all religions as different takes on the same thing, uh, he's doing he's doing the good thing right and in this one he's protecting the holy grail and keeping it out of the hands of the nazis and that led me to think that perhaps he's being put into these situations on purpose in a very old testament sort of way uh and is actually able to pull off some of these crazy survival moments because he's getting a hand yeah. You know, like there's something bigger at work here guiding him. And whether he realizes it or not, he is like God's secret agent, you know, that gets pulled mm-hmm. into these situations. And so that led me to think, hey, you know, I think this is maybe the most heroic we've seen him because he's the furthest along that evolution. Even mm-hmm. at the beginning of Temple of Doom, he's fortune and glory. Well, it's fortune and glory. And then he kind of pivots yeah. and saves the kids. In this one, he doesn't even want to go after the Grail. The only reason he's there is to save his dad. And then that kind of evolves into, well, we got to keep it out of the hands of the Nazis. But he's never, in, until that last moment of like temptation, he's never there to claim the Grail for himself. You know, he's not about trying to get it back to the museum. He's not about, you know, making any money off of it. He's just there to keep them from getting it and gaining, you know, advantage over the world or whatever. Yeah. And I think maybe that's part of why the the sequence we agree to disagree on with him reaching for the cup later. He even he knows he can't take it out of there. Yeah. Right. He tells her, don't go past the seal. So anyway, not to harp back on that. But I hear what you're saying. I just think when I think of the guy who's actually being a hero, um, I, I think of the the one from Temple of Doom where he saves thousands of children, return, you know, essentially a, a village. I mean, you could argue it's a white savior thing. Um, and I couldn't argue the counter to it. Um, but he he does bring the children back. He returns this artifact that means more to those people people in that humble village than it'll ever mean in a museum in the United States. And you know, that, that kind of like he goes through an arc of, I want fortune and glory. But by the end of the film, he's like, there's more important things. And I think that's why for me, that's the most heroic indie. I, I get that too. Yeah. Either way, he's a long way from the bastard we saw in the first movie. He's a piece of shit in the first one. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> So the only other thing that I have that we haven't really talked about, and it's just dumb, is why do the Nazis take a tank to recover the Holy Grail? I have no idea. Because maybe it's because they were given the tank. God and gave us a tank. They're like, I've always wanted to drive a tank. We gotta take this. You tank. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be like, I think for me, I'd be like, well, we were given the tank. Do we have an obligation it's to like, bring the tank? Like, <laughs> it's sort of like if you're you're going on a road trip. And all you need is just two of you. You just need a decent sized sedan. But they're like, nah, you can take the RV. And you're like, well, I mean, it's a free upgrade. You have the opportunity <laughs> to take the RV. You know, you're taking the RV. That, that, that's the only logic I could think. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I never even thought about it before. 
<laughs> never yeah. even considered like well they did they needed it because they ran into the the grail protectors right. yeah and... they put it to good use until they went off a cliff with it <clears throat> yeah it's not theirs anyway yeah. all right yeah that's all i got that's all i got is this still your favorite indiana jones film yeah it is yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think too. over the course I've gained more appreciation for Temple of Doom through doing this, but I don't think my ranking has changed. I think it's Last Crusade Raiders and then Temple of Doom. Mine has. I, I would say it's three, two, one. Yeah. Now, you know, I, this is my favorite. Then Temple, then Raiders. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I anything else before I start closing? No, again? no, go back to closing. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, yo, you're good. That was my bad. Uh, so if you want more from Eric, uh, uninterrupted, you can go to his YouTube page. Uh, it's Eric Hotter. It should be in the links in the description as well as his Twitter, which is Eric underscore Hotter. And of course, all of his gaming writing is over at GamingNexus.com. Uh, you can find me at Podcast by Jeff on Twitter, as well as my other movie podcast, The Movie Draft House, uh, which uh, we get more angry and yell, and it's great. Uh, so next week, we finish out another trilogy with Back to the Future Part 3. You're going to love it. I hope more than you loved 2. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man. Yeah, I'm hopeful. So we'll see you guys next Bye, week. Bye, y'all.